0: Previously on The Great James Bond Car Robbery. And then the machine gun comes up out of the
1: back and you control it with joysticks in the cab.
2: I'm not going to leave my name,
3: but that James Bond car, it wasn't stolen. Robert did not know what happened to the car. I would categorically deny that Robert would have
2: started such a rumor. What do you do? with this car it has no external value if you're not selling it legitimately
4: if you can't show a show pony then what's the point of having a show pony really
0: welcome to the great james bond car robbery with me elizabeth hurley episode eight the mission continues It's been six months, give or take, since we last met our international art detective, Christopher Marinello in a London park.
2: This is our Art Recovery International Theft Alert. Have you seen James Bond's
0: Aston Martin DB5? Christopher, you may remember, makes a living tracing lost and stolen masterpieces, paintings, sculptures, and in this case, vintage cars. As before, he prefers to meet outdoors for a couple of reasons. COVID rules, and operational security. He doesn't like too many people knowing the location of his office, and his offer to our listeners still stands.
2: A six-figure reward is offered to anyone who can provide information that results in the safe return of the undamaged vehicle. All tips may be submitted anonymously and on a confidential basis.
0: This is our final episode and, at the risk of a spoiler, we're not going to be able to reveal the location of the DB5, not definitively. And we can't confirm for sure the identity of the thieves. But we do have our theories, and they're good ones, which you'll hear in this episode. This does, however, mean that the six-figure reward to crack the case still stands. As of October 2021, if you have or can find information which may help locate the most famous car in the world, Christopher would like to hear from you. His company's contact details are at the end of this episode. But first, a quick recap. Here's where we now stand. The car was stolen in 1997 in a daring raid on an aircraft hangar at the Boca Raton airport. The owner, Anthony Pugliese III allegedly accused his own brother-in-law of spreading rumours that the car's disappearance was part of an insurance scam. No one has ever been arrested, charged, or convicted in connection with the crime. Credible sightings of the car have been rare since then, and DB5s around the world continue to be desirable targets for the underworld. So, to help with our ongoing search, We'll be using this episode to assess our three most plausible scenarios for the current fate of the car. Call them avenues for investigation. And Christopher says that in the six months since we last spoke, he has been closing in on a promising lead. Naturally, there's only so much he can say publicly.
2: Well, we've undertaken some measures towards forwarding our goal. I can't say what those are, but I could just say that they're in the investigative realm. We did receive some very interesting tips when we first spoke, and we have explored those tips and are continuing to explore those tips.
0: And if he does have a plan to swoop on a Bond villain's secret lair containing the DB5, he's not saying...
2: You know, I don't want to say I hired a small army and they're on their way to that garage now. No, I'm not going to, I wouldn't be able to say that. It would just interfere with our efforts. So to that effect, we're moving along nicely.
0: Our first scenario for the DB5's fate is heartbreaking. Destroyed. We've come across this scenario a lot in making this podcast, usually off the record. In fact, many people we've spoken to have expressed their doubts that the Goldfinger DB5 exists in one piece anymore. The theory here is that whoever last had the car will have found it too incriminating to hold on to or too famous to sell without attracting the authorities. So, Ken Adam and Aston Martin's masterpiece lies buried in the desert, torn up for parts or dumped in the ocean off the Florida Keys that it sleeps with the fishes. And that would certainly explain the fact that there have been few sightings in the decade since the theft. And this theory does have a real-life precedent.
1: Well, this looks like the um, Los Angeles Times photo of a Dino being unearthed in a part of Los Angeles just below South Central.
0: Mike Spinelli is a car journalist based in New York. He works for car magazine Drive. And the Dino being unearthed in the photo is a Dino 246 GTS, a very rare model Ferrari.
1: This is the Dino that was uh, taken up out of the ground in the backyard of a house in 1978.
0: He's describing a grainy black and white photo of a crime scene, a legal and aesthetic crime scene. In the photo, a group of men are stood around a pit dug deep into the earth in an LA backyard. There's mud everywhere and a small earth mover in the foreground. And at the bottom of the pit are visible the rear tail lights and license plate of a luxury sports car, the Dino.
1: You know, the front end is covered in dirt and there are, let's say, three men and they are pulling this car out of the ground and it does not look like it's in very good shape.
0: If anything, this looks like a scene from the discovery of an ancient Egyptian monument if the ancient Egyptians had built very beautiful sports cars or lived in L.A.
1: It almost looks like the this car was going too fast and drove into like a berm or something and just, just wedged itself into the dirt.
0: Mike spent some time looking into the origins of this photo.
1: So the story of the car starts at Hollywood Sports Car, a very famous Ferrari dealership in Hollywood. And the way it had been reported was a a plumbing contractor named Rosendo Cruz had bought this Dino for his wife as a birthday present. And it was quite a generous birthday present. And it sort of makes sense. I mean, you know, the 246 GTS was a car that even in Los Angeles, it would have stood out because it was a car that a celebrity would have bought. It wasn't like a supercar, but it was a car that would be pretty rare to see. I think in in the English translation is pine metallic. So it was a kind of a beautiful, beautiful green color.
0: And soon after, the happy couple have a night out at one of old school Hollywood's most famous restaurants the Brown Derby, renowned for his lobster cocktail.
1: So the night in question, he pulled up to the valet stand. He later reported that he noted a certain hungry look among the valets. And you know, if, if you think about uh, valets taking um, customers' cars for a ride, you think of Ferris Bueller's day off, obviously. So there he is, Rosendo Cruz is a little bit freaked out by the valets and decides to park the car on the street
0: big mistake.
1: You know, the, the 70s in general in the States were pretty crime-ridden. Cars were very easy to steal back then. You just, you know, pulled down the wires, you hot-wired it, and you just drove it away. <laughs> it was about that easy. So, you could make a, a, a quite a good living <laughs> stealing cars back then.
0: You won't be surprised to hear that after dessert at the Brown Derby, the owners come out into the street to find that Dino has gone. But... As with our DB5, the car was insured.
1: The insurance check just went to the pay the lien on the car, and that was that. And he walked away, and, and it just another day in Los Angeles uh, car
0: culture. Until a few years later, a detective in the LAPD gets a tip-off. The kind of tip-off that has yet to reach Boca Raton PD.
1: They had gotten a tip from a, uh, a source, one of their street sources, that... There was this car that had been stolen and had been buried and to go and look for it. And of course, like the first thing they thought was, well, there's bodies in there, obviously, right? <laughs> because it's, you know, it's uh, the, crime being what it was and the drug trade being what it was. And it's a brutal business. And obviously somebody crossed somebody else, right?
0: Wrong. When they dug the Dino out of his backyard grave, there were no bodies. It was empty, And if the burial wasn't revenge or a warning, that raised another question. What was this?
1: Really, the money for thieves was to chop it up and turn it into parts and sell those parts because Ferrari parts were expensive. Maybe it was worth $20,000 on the street, you know, but you could turn it into 40 or 50 in parts probably if you if you really did it well. And these chop shops were were pretty skilled at that.
0: So the option to destroy this car was right there.
1: But but then why didn't they right? And I feel like there's there's uh, there's no real satisfying answer to that. But the romantic answer to it is that one of the thieves just said, you know what, this car is is too beautiful to to destroy. Right? It's the what was it uh, was it Snow White with the, the woodsman. And with the dagger, he couldn't. He just he couldn't land that dagger. Or was it? Yeah, I think it was Snow White, or was it? <laughs> it, was
0: Snow it was Snow White. He can't kill her because she's too beautiful, and there is some evidence for the Snow White hypothesis.
1: Exactly. Well, so whoever it was did try to prevent the car from from damage. They they uh, they used towels in the windows, and they they tried to cover it with a tarp, and they tried to at least minimize the damage that it would it would get underground and so they could have been thinking that or they just said you know what there's too much heat on us right now i don't know what to do with it right now but i'm i, I may figure out what to do with it later and so rather than make a rash decision right now i'm going to put this in the bank it's sort of the bank ends up becoming the the backyard
0: there were unproven suspicions of an insurance fraud, but the police find that the owner's story checks out. They're innocent.
1: As far as we can, we've been able to figure out, they did, you know, sort of question the owner, and he had an alibi, and there was no, no way to tie him to the theft in any way.
0: And that leaves the reason for the burial still unresolved.
1: That's the real mystery of this, is that it would have been so easy to have it cut apart in hours and just gone, you know, just, just cast of the four winds. But but they didn't, and the only thing they did was they cut out the Dino badge on the back of it. It's sort of like as a claim check. They cut this claim check so that they would know that the car was underground somewhere, and someday they would go and get it and, and, and bring it out of the ground.
0: After it rose from the dead, the insurance company decided to sell off what was left of the Dino
1: so this is where it gets interesting because this is 1975 when the car is stolen and around 1978 is when this story breaks and the intervening years were very interesting there was a drought people couldn't fill their swimming pools up because there was a drought
0: a very la way of measuring a drought
1: so that that's only relevant because this car was found underground and so in those intervening years, there wasn't that much moisture. So the car was actually preserved in the same way it would have been preserved, you know, the mummies would have been preserved in Egypt. I mean, there, was, there wasn't a lot of damaging water.
0: A guy called Brad Howard buys it and begins to wonder if it might be possible, just possible, for the Dino to ride again. And he takes what is left of it to one of LA's best mechanics, Luigi Capolongo.
1: And Luigi, who still has a, a shop in uh, West Los Angeles, fantastic mechanic, and he did it on his off hours. He got the got the engine going, got the bodywork done, and and like little by little, they got it got it rolling.
0: Revived.
1: It's it's gorgeous. I mean, Brad still has it. I mean, it's forty one years later, right? And he's had the car since then, and he drives it. I met him in Pasadena a few years ago, and we. Drove around in it, and he, it's it, cars. Cars, great. It's a beautiful car, and it's a great happy ending. I mean, I think that's one of the great things about this story. Is there's so many twists and turns, but ultimately, it, it, it's this incredible buried treasure story that leads to a, a happy ending.
0: So, could a similar fate be waiting for the DB five?
1: The difference between that loss and this one is that the stakes were so much higher with that car because it was indeed the most famous car in the world. And I think there was a book written on it. It was just such a special car. It would be so difficult to keep it a secret. It would be like stealing the Mona Lisa at this point, right? It's sort of, where do you put, I mean, I guess you could, the Mona Lisa is big enough to put in someone's basement and you'd never see it again. But the person who has it would have to tell somebody. How could you keep something like that to yourself?
0: Second scenario, stolen to order by a global mastermind. This theory feels a lot more bond and has also been suggested to us by a lot of people. Anthony Pugliese himself said something similar soon after the theft. He was quoted in Florida's Sun Sentinel as saying that the DB5 may have been singled out by a wealthy individual who ordered the theft. According to Pugliese, quote... It may be in South America or Asia or in one of the Arabian countries. It's probably sitting in some guy's private living room right now, unquote. If that sounds a little too Ian Fleming, a little too Blofeld to be true, consider this case, investigated by British security expert Neil Thomas.
4: It was an eye-opener, if I'm honest. You know, I'm used to dealing with stolen vehicles, but to see them all lined up there... 28 stolen British vehicles from Uganda in Africa. You know, there's a a story behind each, each individual theft.
0: We heard from Neil in episode four. His company, AX Innovation, are the security experts trying to crack the case of the stolen DB5 in England's Golden Triangle. The 28 cars, yes, 28, were lined up in a secure police compound in Kampala, Uganda's
4: capital. And that was just full of vehicles. It does bring it all back. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, it was a fantastic operation to start from the beginning. The car was a hire car, so it was hired out to uh, a gentleman in London.
0: The hire company employs Neil's team to keep tabs on their most desirable vehicles—a Lexus SUV, in this case.
4: It turned out to be a fraudulent hire. At the time in the UK, there was a spate of high-value vehicles being stolen in London, in the southeast, uh, and so. It was very much on the government's radar.
0: Initially, Neil's tracker system pings him an alert that the car has mysteriously left Britain and is heading to France, apparently by boat.
4: Our initial thoughts were maybe the customer's gone abroad and hadn't asked permission to get the insurance, get the documentation sorted. So I sent somebody round to his address and it quickly turned out the person had given false details and didn't actually live at the address
0: The Lexus was in fact now on board a shipping container hidden amongst genuine cargo on a ship docked in the French port of Le Havre. The UK police aren't that helpful at first.
4: I mean, when I spoke to the police then, they said, um, and i quote, the guy's probably gone on a booze cruise, you know, to France. And I had to say to them, well, no one goes on a booze cruise in a shipping container.
0: But the Lexus in the shipping container doesn't stop in France. The tracker records it heading into the Mediterranean, crossing the Suez Canal, travelling through the Red Sea, before reaching Oman in the Middle East. And its next stop is due to be Mombasa in Kenya. Quite the booze cruise. Neil speaks to Paul Stanfield, a senior figure at Britain's National Crime Agency. And Paul offers him a choice.
4: Now, the most difficult decision for me, if I'm honest, was having a telephone call with Paul and him saying, we've got two, two ways we can run this operation. Either... We open the container at Mombasa Port and you get your car back. Or you can work with us and we let the car go to its final destination. And see who is waiting for it. Use it as bait. And hopefully get a result in terms of dismantling the gang, arresting the people responsible. The difficulty for me was he couldn't guarantee the safety of the car. He said, you know, you might lose this £60,000 car.
0: That's about $84,000.
4: So... It's my decision.
0: Of course, there was only one decision that Neil was going
4: to make. So I took the decision to say, right, okay, let's run with this. Run a covert operation where the car would remain in the container. And sneaking
0: the Lexus out of the container at Mombasa Port wasn't a possibility.
4: If they had approached at the port, the container, to try and open it, then there's a potential compromise on the operation. Because, you know, who's watching, you don't know who's involved...
0: The container reaches Kenya, but the trail doesn't stop there.
4: So, yeah, it went through checks and was picked up on the back of a lorry. And then the surveillance operation continued, both physically and with me monitoring it remotely. By this time, the case has gone international too. Interpol are involved. It went through Kenya uh, and then it went into Uganda. And it ended up in um, Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda. We gave the location to the local police and when the car came out of the container, they sprung into action and I believe arrested some people over there and certainly located the car and recovered the car. And it wasn't just the Lexus. They then recovered from the people and the location over 20 other vehicles, all stolen from the UK. They had broken up an established pipeline,
0: cars stolen to order in Britain and moved halfway around the world to where there was greatest demand and the thieves were picky.
4: You know, high-end Range Rovers, predominantly. Lexus was the same. The Lexus is a, you know, an SUV sports utility vehicle. So there's a big market over there for high-end prestige cars. And and they are fantastic cars, as we know. So they've got good taste in terms of vehicle, definitely.
0: Such a big haul of expensive cars to be returned to the UK in one go presented a problem. How to protect the convoy home, what they called a
4: road train. The threat was, if they had got a road train uh, with potentially a million pounds worth of the vehicles crossing Africa, they might be hijacked, you know, they might be attacked by the gang. Trying to recover their investment. So, you know, with a sophisticated international criminal organisation, which is clearly who stole the car in the first place, or all of the cars, uh, they'd have the resources to try and intercept, you know, the vehicles back en route to the UK.
0: In the event, there was sufficient security
4: to ensure the cars made it home and were reunited with their rightful owners. The largest repatriation of stolen vehicles from Africa back to the UK. I mean, it's not just the UK that's targeted, it's uh, it's other places as well. You know, it's a global problem.
0: And while modern SUVs are a very different target from the Goldfinger DB5, the international criminal infrastructure clearly exists to target and acquire vehicles anywhere in the world. And what could be more appealing to a certain kind of car collector than the DB5?
4: In terms of the Aston Martin, after a few months, a few years, the media interest dies down. So if you're shipping it to another part of the country where, you know, people aren't as aware of the news story of it, uh, then yeah, quite easily you could move it from place to place. So if you change the registration plate, you're almost hiding in plain sight.
0: There is one obvious objection to the elite collector theory. Simply put, the DB5 is just too famous for any car collector to be able to hold it publicly. If you had the car, you'd have to hide the car, never even drive it. As Adam Luck said, what's the point of having a show pony if you can't show it? Well, I could see how
2: most collectors would feel that way.
0: Christopher Marinello.
2: But most collectors don't realize that there's a whole nother layer of collector above them. An Uber collector, where they have thousand vehicles in warehouses. They're rarely driven. They've got a team of people that maintain these vehicles. There's no show off aspect to it. And while, you know, the DB5 may be one of the most important cars in the world, it may not be their favorite. It may might not be the one they're showing off. They're not planning on selling it. They're not planning on exhibiting it. They just have it. And for them, that's enough.
3: You know, I still would like to think that some uh, truly obsessive collector, you know, found out where it was and stole it just to keep it in his private lair.
0: Mary Sealhorst, the writer and museum curator.
3: But there's, there's no proof of that. And it's been years, years. This, it's never come to light. And I'll be fascinated if if it ever does come to light, what really happened. Um, maybe your podcast will actually help solve the mystery.
0: Third and final scenario, forgotten. Picture the scene. We're at an industrial development in Long Island, sometime in the late 80s at a long-term storage facility. Inside is packed with rows and rows of identical shipping containers. It's where people put their belongings when they're moving or short of space. You hire a unit and pay rent on it over time. And sometimes when people fail to pay the rent, the contents of the storage units are auctioned off. And
3: there happens to be a couple from central Long Island They were in the used tool business.
0: This is Don Rose, a classic car dealer who used to work with Sotheby's and a Bond obsessive. He's worked closely with the family in this story. They were regulars at the shipping container auctions. And you often find tools put away in these lockers, and that's what they were after. There's a catch with these auctions. You can only look at the contents of the unit from the doorway, so you never know exactly what you're getting. And on this occasion there was one storage unit in particular that seemed like it might be promising for tools, but they never know for sure
3: what they'll find. They opened the door, they they cracked the padlock and this was just a whole lot of stuff including this big thing that was covered by a blanket and they had no idea what it was. There's nothing that you can see except
5: a huge pile of blankets.
0: Doug Rodinius is a founding member of the Ian Fleming Foundation. He also knows the parties in the story.
5: And there was a huge pile, I mean, four or five feet tall of just
3: all of these blankets. So the bidding happens. They told me later that they bought the contents of the locker for five bucks. So they loaded this thing onto the back of a trailer. Weren't really sure what it was.
5: Didn't know what it was. And they pulled this thing home and put it in their backyard.
0: The thing looks kind of like a car or something that was once a car, but with the wheels taken off and weird kind of fin-like attachments instead. The inside is a mess. Still, it makes for a good garden ornament.
5: You know, the kids are playing on it and everything. And that's why they didn't do anything initially with it, because they had no idea
0: what it was. Unlike everyone else in this podcast, this family really just doesn't care much about Bond films. It's something Doug and Dawn almost can't get their heads around.
5: They had never seen a James Bond movie before. Specifically, they never seen any of Roger Moore's James Bond movies. <clears throat> and then one day, the little neighbor kid comes running over with a... a videotape and says my dad thinks you should watch this movie because he thinks that the car in this movie is the car you have in your backyard so ronnie puts in the spy who loved me and he you know he's looking at the film and he's looking in the backyard and he's looking at the film and then lo and behold he puts two and two together and he thinks oh my god i think this might be the same car oh my god that's
0: that's the bond submarine Yes, submarine, not just a car. Arguably the only Bond car that comes close to being as iconic as the DB5, Roger Moore's amphibious White Lotus Esprit. If you haven't seen the classic sequence where Bond transforms his Lotus from a spy car into an underwater spy mobile during a chase and then shoots the bad guys with missiles, well, what's YouTube for? The submarine sequences were filmed in the Bahamas with a number of actual lotuses adapted to function underwater with a scuba diver in the driving seat. This was one of those cars. Because
5: it had no wheels, they knew it wasn't a car you could get in and drive. You know, is this a Halloween thing? Is this a, what is this thing?
0: but they realize this is a business opportunity. Like the DV5, the Lotus becomes a tourist attraction, touring exhibitions and museums around the country. Eventually, Doug and Don helped the owners put it up for auction, its second auction. This one is at Sotheby's though, not at a storage depot, and it fetches substantially more than the first time. The UK pound sterling equivalent of around a million dollars. The question remains. Okay, how did this car find
5: its way into a storage unit clear out at the end of Long
0: Island. No one is completely sure. The best theory is this. Like the DB5, this car was used to promote the movie it featured in. Which is not
5: unusual because ordinarily what would happen is the production would just try and get rid of everything. They would sell it for pennies on the dollar to their crew guys. They would crush things to write it off as a business expense. They would leave things behind at production locations. But when it came to this particular car, a decision had to have been made that we were going to hang on to this car. So it was put into a storage unit and rent had been paid
3: uh, for a long time. But
0: out of sight. Out of mind.
3: It was paid for on a 10 year lease in advance. 10 years. And so it was 88, um, give or take a year when the lease ran out. But then what happened was the studio
5: was in bankruptcy. It was being dismantled, sold off. Uh, People were losing their jobs. And it slipped through the cracks. And the rent didn't get paid.
0: So how about the DB5? Could it be sitting in a different shipping container, forgotten under some blankets, waiting to be rediscovered?
5: Well, the short answer is no. No one has forgotten about it. If it were to still exist today, there are people that, without a question, know that the car is still around. You're not connected to the most famous car in the world and then forget that you're connected to the most famous car in the world. It's not like parking a an old Rolls Royce and you've got eight other Rolls Royces and that one you just forget about. Uh, this is a car that if it's still around, someone is very aware of the fact that they still know where it is. Um, I, I initially thought that it was gone. Um, part of me still thinks that it's probably gone. It's just there's... <laughs> There's way too much legality and baggage associated with it.
0: The Lotus, on the other hand, did find a new home. Don was organizing the Sotheby's auction.
3: I did have an early inquiry from Elon Musk or his office um, asking questions about it. And I kept in touch with his office. And Elon Musk, to me, was the perfect buyer because he's somebody... With the spirit of adventure, with the, uh, if I may, um, ego to match, I don't think is a stretch. He may actually, you know, want to recondition it and drive it underwater. And there's also, in my personal view, too, is that he uh, was also perfect candidate because one might view him, and let's say in the nicest possible way, as a Bond villain of his own, somebody who was smarter than all the rest of us, richer than all the rest of us, and might enjoy bucking the conventional wisdom that this thing might never be driven underwater again.
0: Musk won the auction and the Lotus Esprit submarine car is currently in his private collection.
2: Well. As the most important rare vehicle in the world, it would mean the world to me to, to recover this car.
0: Back in London, Christopher Marinello says everything is carefully planned for if or when the DB5 is located.
2: I've, of course, secured a promise from my client for a, a ride, uh, not necessarily in the ejector seat, but I did ask for a ride and they, it was promised
0: to me. But we're not quite done here. Christopher has one last avenue of investigation.
2: I would say about a year ago, I received the best tip that we've ever received on the car. And I have to be careful out of respect for the individual who brought us to our attention and and to protect his life, to be honest with you. The tip was extremely credible. The individual knew the car, knew where the numbers were located on the car, claimed to have seen the exact number we're looking for, and actually knew of a secret third place where the number is posted, and I won't divulge that which led us to believe that the car is located in a private collection in the Middle East. Now, since that time, I have reached out to people who know of this collection. I've publicly said that the collection is vast. The compound is run like a military compound. And that me walking in there with my folder and file and a paper and pencil is just not going to happen. So I'm thinking if
0: you are that collector, then you really, really love this car. You're fascinated by its history and fame. You also know that perhaps you're not supposed to own it. Maybe you keep an eye on the news, just in case there's any stories about its disappearance. And if there was a podcast called for example, the great James Bond car robbery, you'd probably listen to every episode, perhaps before wandering down to your vast underground garage, fixing yourself a martini, and running your hand across the glistening bonnet of the actual James Bond Goldfinger DB5. And if you are listening to me right now, time might be running out. But there is something you can do. Call me, or have
2: your people call me, and we can make this as smooth as possible and no one will ever know that we've resolved it. If that's what you want, uh, I will preserve your anonymity and you never know who within your inner circle is eventually gonna come forward and say, I know where this car is. So come to me before I come to you is the message.
0: And what would that moment be like if amongst the stars and celebrities at a James Bond premiere, there was an unexpected special guest. With a straight-six, four-litre engine, hand-sewn leather interior, a console capable of some surprises and elegant silver-birch curves that reflect the lights that suddenly surround it from every angle. We've been expecting you. Tips and information about the location of the Goldfinger DB5 should be sent to Christopher Marinello's Art Recovery International Organization. They can be reached at artrecovery.com forward slash contact. Further details at the Art Recovery International website. This has been a Cup and Nuzzle production for Spyscape. I'm Elizabeth Hurley. Thanks also to the following for their help and assistance with the entire series. Christopher Marinello, Jason Barlow, Mary Sealhorst, Neil Thomas, Doug Rodinius, Barney Ruprecht, Gary Rosenfeld, Don Rose, John Cork, Stephen Sirio of Classic Car Dealership Bond Group, and Max Gerardo of Classic Dealership Gerardo & Co. The executive producers are Matt Everett and Graham Hodge. Editor is Leo Hornack. The producers are Simona Rata, Alex Bernard, Joe Foley, Elizabeth Nicarno, and Joe Keane. Sound design by X-Men and the sound engineer is Chris Denman. Production help from Rebecca Mills and legal advice from Alex Wade at Reviewed and Cleared. Disclaimer. The great James Bond car robbery is not affiliated with Eon Productions, Metro-Golden-Mayer Studios Inc. or Danjak LLC. Do you have what it takes to be a true spy? Now you can put your spy skills to the test with Spy Games. Spy Games is the thrilling new experience at Spyscape in New York. Test your strategy, agility and teamwork in high-tech game rooms developed with experts from CIA and Special Ops to stretch your physical and mental agility. Inspired by the CIA's operational training at the farm, Spy Games will help you develop strengths you didn't know you had. Think true spies in real life. Find out more at spygames.com.